Well, um, let me jump right in because we've got a lot to do tonight. We're going to have the staff come up and be talking about our move that's coming up in just a few weeks. But let me say a few things about that before they do. Uh, there are two linchpins, and you know this, but there are two linchpins to the liturgical year on the Christian calendar. One is Christmas and the other is Easter. And both of these celebrations are preceded by seasons of preparation. Uh, Christmas is preceded by Advent, Easter by Lent. Without going into tons of boring detail about all this, suffice to say that the space between these two linchpins, there are two spaces, and those spaces are called ordinary time. And I think there's been a bit of a misunderstanding about ordinary time in the history of the church. Um, and I think the big misunderstanding comes from accrued meanings of the word ordinary. When the church first chose that word ordinary time, it didn't mean exactly what it means now. So suffice to say that ordinary time in the beginning was not referring to not special or average or things of inferior quality are times that are supposedly uninteresting. The original word that was used was the Latin word ordinalis, which refers to numbers used in a series. And the original idea was ordinary time was that time when we are to be ordered, not that time when we're to be unexceptional or unimportant or the non-special times of the year. In fact, there are times, ordinary times, let me say it this way, ordinary times are those times in the church's life when we are to give ourselves to ordering and to putting our house in order, not just individually, but as a family. And so the times when we celebrate our faith and our life, like Easter and Advent and Lent and all of those things, those are really wonderful times, but they are no more wonderful than the season of ordinary time, which we actually are in right now. And so periodically throughout the year, maybe once or twice a year, we, 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 we take services like this and we talk about the ordering of our life as a church. And we remind ourselves of the beauty and the value and the importance of a local church. We remind ourselves of the beauty and the value and the importance of this place called Grace Point. And accordingly, there are times throughout the year, and ordinary time is a great time to do it, when we need to renew our individual commitments to a church like this. We need to renew our commitments to making this place the truly Christ-honoring place that it's intended to be and that it can be. And so I can scarcely think of a more important Sunday than a Sunday like this one. Knowing that our greatest resource is the divine gift of life, um, as my friends in East Lake say, uh, life is to be celebrated, uh, life is a gift, and love is the point, I think is the way they say it. We're reminded in ordinary time that we have this incredibly divine gift, this special gift of life. We have it, as Paul said, in earthen vessels, very earthy vessels. We have it in earthen bodies. As much of a treasure as it is, we have this in earthen bodies and earthen organizations and earthen structures and earthen institutions. And so it should always be our resolve to line these earthen institutions and organizations and bodies up to the beauty of the treasure that we have inside of it. That is, to do our best with this wonderful cut of life, to present it the best that we can to the world. 
We have to make sure that our bodies, our organizations, our institutions, these vessels through which we disseminate the gift are healthy and they're whole and they're effective dispensers of God's grace and peace. And so I'm here tonight as a pastor here. I'm here as the founding pastor of this church. I've been serving it for 15 and a half years. And I'm here not only speaking on behalf of the original intention of this church and those few dozen people who started it all those years ago. And I'm here not only representing those of you who are still a part of this church, but I'm here representing those who will come, those who so desperately need for there to be a progressive Christian church from an evangelical background in this town. So I'm here speaking for a democracy not only of those who are gone, but a democracy of those who are yet to come and those who need desperately for us to build this into the Christ-honoring organization that we know it can be. And so I, I can think of no more important message than this. Along with the family, and I suppose I, I know there are others, but along with the family, I believe the local church is one of the most beautiful institutions in creation. I really do. When the local church is done right, there is just nothing done better. Like the family, it can be one of the most incredible sources of our greatest joys. And because of this capacity, this high mountain of capacity that all of us are still committed to, thus we're here on a Sunday night, moving back to Sunday morning. Those of you who are here have hung with this organization through thick and thin. And we've hung with it because we believe there's just nothing better when it's done right. It provides us with joys and meaning that just scarce organizations can. And yet because of that capacity, it also can be the source of some of our deepest disappointments. The mountain is always measured by the depth of the valley and vice versa, the valley by the height of the mountain. It is our incredible expectations for this place, the incredible ideal of what it means to be a Christ-making institution in the universe. It is that high ideal that leaves us open to the possibility of those incredible disappointments and incredible joys. Among many things, what a local church does when it's done right, it gives you an opportunity. One of the major things that a local church done right does is it gives you the opportunity to experience meaning, to experience real success, to experience lasting happiness. And it gives you this opportunity to do this by allowing you to contribute to an enterprise that is literally committed to contribute to the benefit of the world on many, many levels. And the fact is, for everybody in this room, gifts and strengths were given to you. And I want to remind you, and I don't know that you need reminded, but I think we all do from time to time that these gifts and strengths were given to you as the gift of God and they are an investment of God for the benefit of not only yourself but for others. And they are to be realized gratefully and they are to be deployed liberally in every area of your life. And as followers of Christ, there's no better place to do this than a local church family. And if you're looking tonight to assure your participation in the world if you're looking to assure your participation in the world of meaning and lasting importance, there is no place, this is after 50 years of being in it, 34 years of ministry, almost 16 years here at Grace Point, I still believe there is no place, no organization, no institution, there's no business, no community that can provide that more readily for you than a church, a local church 
for the good news of God's love is taught. And I think about Grace Point, I think about the children in our hallway right now that are on the fulcrum of a Reformation moment in Christian history, and they don't even know it. I think about the fact that my daughter has been raised in this church. She's 13 years old. This church was two years old. My daughter believes the gospel of Jesus Christ is that every human being is born a child of God. She is still scandalized when she finds out at school that there are people who damn other religions and other denominations who don't believe in inherent union. The children raised in this church understand that the good news is so much more than the church the first 2,000 years has posited it to be. The children in this church, one day when my book comes out, the book is going to be titled The Good News You Never Needed and The Great News You Never Heard. You've been listening to that for years. It's old hat to you, but that good news, brothers and sisters, we are resting right now at a fulcrum moment in the church's history for we are understanding the good news much deeper than we ever have. It is unfolding for us in beautiful ways. And to be a part of Grace Point, I was at East Lake last week in Seattle. I was talking to them, the pastoral staff, we were meeting, I met with them for about five hours. They're still in that moment where everything is weighed in the balances. In this post-evangelical setting, um, money is scarce and commitments are scarce and people are scared because these last few years, we, the first wave of these post-evangelical churches who have attempted this, I was talking to Cody Deese in Atlanta yesterday who was a church that followed us, the, the first wave of these churches have literally served as almost cannon fodder off the U-boats and it has not been easy. And yet now I have a list of about 50 to 75 churches that I'm beginning to cycle and circle through. In two weeks I'll be at one in Northern California uh, these churches are springing up everywhere who are beginning to understand the gospel is so much bigger and deeper and more wonderful than we've ever understood. And so you're given an opportunity that maybe you don't even understand, uh, you don't even understand the largeness of. You're given the opportunity to share in a place where the good news is really valued and understood and a place that has the potential in a city like Nashville to be a megaphone for the world and really is in so many ways that are astonishing to me. And in a local setting here, you're given a place, you're given a place, you're given the opportunity to be a part of a place where children are loved and dedicated and baptized where meals are brought to grieving families, where prayers are lifted on in behalf of people who don't even know one another, where shoulders are offered to the weak, where deep relationships are nurtured, where life, and that more abundantly, as Jesus said, is the real potential of every member. Sisters and brothers, in this place called Grace Point, in this Christ-honoring, people-valuing local church, an opportunity is given you to get your hands dirty. As we move, there's so many people telling me, dozens of people weekly are telling me, when you get back to Sunday morning, we will be there. I, I hope they will. I trust they will. I'm sure they will. But I'm talking to you tonight, those that have stuck through thick and thin, that are so dedicated, not to me, not to just Grace Point, but to something much bigger than yourselves. I still believe as much or more than I ever have that you are given an opportunity in this place called Grace Point to get your hands dirty in some of the richest soil the universe has to offer. And one of my chief jobs as the founding pastor of this place is to continually remind you beautiful, incredible people who have become my dearest friends in the world that each of you has a part of your fundamental identity 
Each of you has as a part of that fundamental identity a responsibility to serve your fellow man. And in serving one another, we are serving something far bigger than ourselves, far bigger than we can recognize even in this place. We are serving something really special to get the good news right and to share that good news that every human being is born a child of God, that every human being is born inherently united to God. Those things that roll off of our tongues that are second nature to my child, the church at large has yet to recognize the beauty of the gospel that it has in its hands. To be able to tell people that the journey of salvation is not a linear journey from child of the devil to the child of the father, but it's a circular journey of going a long way around to come home finally to the identity in which you were born. To tell people that Jesus Christ truly is the archetype because he was born the inherent beloved child of God and he never had to earn it, he never had to grow into it, and it didn't happen to him after he was baptized. His baptism was the place it was pronounced, not created, to tell every human being that that's true of them. My, <laughs> what a message. Just after Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, and just hours before he himself would give himself to this soil, to the beauty of this thing called the church. The Bible said within minutes, this is Eugene Peterson's message, within minutes his disciples were bickering over who of them would end up the greatest. But Jesus intervened. Jesus looked at them and said kings like to throw their weight around and people in authority like to give themselves fancy titles. It's not to be that way with you. Let whoever among you wants to be senior and greatest, let whoever among you wants to be senior become the junior. Let the leader act the part of the servant. Who would you rather be, the one who eats the dinner or the one who serves the dinner? You would all rather eat and be served, right? But you do not know me. I've taken my place among you as the one who serves, and you've stuck with me through thick and thin. Now I confer on you the royal authority my father conferred on me so you can eat and drink at my table in my kingdom. And all of this is so you yourselves will be strengthened to take up responsibilities among the congregations of God's people. The local church is not a business whose sole purpose is to bless your independent life. It is not a simple vendor that is here to dispense services and goods and products to you. But the local church, the local church is given to you to be a deep part of your identity as a part of the body of Christ. An identity where you are intended to be a functioning part through both giving and receiving. I want to say something now in closing this before I bring the team up. We'll receive our offering and then we'll bring the team up. I want to say something that in various ways uh, I say, and I've said many times in this, in this place, but a local church normally goes through several stages if it is to survive past infancy, and many churches don't. If a local church is to become a thriving, healthy, Christ-honoring, prevailing institution, it's going to go through a few stages, and I've watched this the last 15 years. I'll read this. I wrote this many years ago, but it still rings as true as it ever has. The first stage is the stage referred to as the era of blood, sweat, and tears. It's the all-hands-on-deck stage, if you will. In the earliest days of a church, the church is birthed, nursed, and sustained on the willing, committed, strong, and weary backs of a few. 
And this church, interestingly, through a paschal cycle of life and death and burial and resurrection and adjustment and new life, this church is cycling through another season of paschal death and rebirth. And I, I feel that deeply. And we're kind of circling back around to an era of blood, sweat, and tears and all hands on deck stage. In that day, the church is birthed, nursed, and sustained on the willing and committed, strong, and weary backs of a few. The early members are generally those with the impetus and the inspiration of the initial vision. They are marked by a high level of commitment, inspiration, and buy-in. They don't have the luxury of specialization or finding their perfect niche. They operate by a nearest-to-the-broom mentality. They sing, they teach, they clean, they set up, they host, they pray, they direct traffic, they stuff mailers, they provide pastoral care, etc., etc., etc. They do it all. Sometimes they stay for the rewards of their faithfulness and are venerated and esteemed and have wings of the church named after them. But all too often they don't make it that far. So many in the blood, sweat, and tears era actually leave the church frustrated and hurt and feeling used. Why? Because a fatal inertia can develop in the early days, a fatal inertia that causes the church to use the same folk doing, doing, and doing instead of expanding the vision to others and equipping new folk to share the load. And of course, for those who get burned out, there's complicity because they're adult people that have to set their own boundaries. But there's complicity on both sides of the aisles. In the beginning, it is necessary that you have the intense, vision-inspired commitment from the founding mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers of the church, but it is not fair to them or the new folk to continue an unshared load. Serving is supposed to be the way we are blessed, not burned. The blood, sweat, and tears era can only last a certain amount of time. If a church does not grow beyond it, it will die. A church that does not, does not live beyond blood, sweat, and tears will actually bleed to death and cry itself out. But if we will do right, if we will build the organization correctly, which I think we have the substance to do here as we move into this new chapter, a few won't have to die to build the church. No one will have to be burned. If everyone contributes a reasonable amount of life to this beautiful thing. The second era of a church that most churches go through is called the expansion era or the era marked by the growth of paid staff. And it's a tragic mistake that the evangelical church has been making for the last 30 to 50 years in spades. The hard work, commitment, and vision of the initial group generally yields enough growth that finances begin to flow in. The blood, sweat, and tears people have worked, the church is growing, and the funds allow for much needed relief in the form of paid staff. The new staff assumes the responsibility of the condition of the blood, sweat, and tears folk, but also should be expanding the volunteer services base to the new folk. If there is a besetting sin of church staffs, it is that we all too often become doers instead of equippers. The second sin is we keep the blood, sweat, and tears folks working because they've already proven their willingness to do. This era is called the steroid era of a church. When we are pumped full by the drug of resources, financial resources, we build a staff to do the work of the church 
Ratios get corrupted, and we cannot live this way forever. And finally, there will be a price to pay. A church who is not using the gifts in the pew, a church that is dependent and spoiled upon paid professionals to do the work of the body of Christ, eventually burns out its vocational ministers, spoils its congregation, and becomes far removed from that one who called us with a towel about him to serve at the dirty feet of our brothers and sisters. This I know, you cannot build a thriving, healthy, prevailing church on blood, sweat, and tears folk forever, and you also cannot build a healthy, thriving church on a paid staff forever. These backs will ultimately break financial and physical. The church will grind to a stop in terms of growth, and all of the muscle of the steroids and finances will eventually begin to break down the organic systems within that body. It'll grind to a stop in terms of growth and even begin to recede. Advancement will be replaced with retreat, and if that church is lucky, it will find a place of meager survival, management, and getting by, and be one more small church in America that stopped growing long ago. This does not have to happen. To keep this from being its fate, a church must find a third era. And this church, you good folk are so well aware of this, I just want you to know here in a couple of weeks, a few weeks, when the folk come back, and I do think we're going to have a rush back in, and Sunday morning is going to be good for us. But we have to move into the equipping era. Beyond blood, sweat, and tears, and beyond the steroid era of paid staff, the equipping era is the era when leadership and membership mutually recognize the task of become too many and too big for a few highly committed folk or a paid staff to accomplish. And a church either realizes this or it ceases to grow, but if it does realize it, the sky is the limit. Often, era two grinds to a stop purely because of economics. You cannot hire your way into a fully functioning New Testament church. The people who came earlier generally gave at a higher level than any group that ever comes behind. It's true. They naturally have a huge buy-in with a lot of ownership and vestedness. It takes a while for the new attenders to capture that level of vision and sacrifice. To depend upon the early ratios of attendance and giving will not work forever. Back to the era of equipping. As the church grows, Pure need becomes the driving force in moving to this new and healthy era. But we must grow not only numerically, we must grow spiritually, cognitively, intellectually. We must grow as a congregation in depth and wisdom. There are types and levels of expertise, giftings, and talents sitting in the chairs of this congregation that do not exist in our paid professional staff. A paid professional staff is not called to do the work of the church. It is called to recognize the expertise, the giftings, and the talents. And we are responsible to steward the gifts and resources, not just the financial budget, but the gifts and resources of the talent sitting in these pews. The talent God has given us absolutely is our greatest resource. You have a chance to experience being a player in the greatest, one of the greatest enterprises the universe is known, the Christian church. And believe me, after 50 years, I don't know all the foibles and ins and outs of this thing. 
and you do too. And yet we still recognize the opportunity of beauty sitting here. We have a chance right here, right now, to do something really special together. And every part counts if you do it in the name of Christ. So I just wanted to say before we get to the new location and back to Sunday morning, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are blood, sweat, and tears people. Some of you have been through every one of these phases with us in two rotations. Thank you. You're beautiful people, and we have an incredible opportunity as we move back to Sunday morning and Clementine, as we move into new leadership. New leadership is so needed. I thought I would spend the rest of my life always pastoring this church but three years ago, after inclusion, after my divorce, I just got the stuffing beat out of me. And I, I, have not, I have not been able to recover that in this location. And it has been so hard on my ego and my heart and my nostalgia to let go of that and release and say that as I continue to be a part of this church always, one of the best gifts that I can do is to get out of the way and let somebody come in with fresh legs and fresh vision because this church is so beautiful and has so much to offer. And I'm really excited about that prospect. And I will forever, ever be a part of cheering this on and doing whatever I can to make it go. But this is just my, my appeal to you as we head toward that place. This is really, really beautiful. And the gospel is really, really great. And we are a part of something special. Can you say amen? Let's pray together as... Our ushers prepare to receive the offering. Sweet Christ, we thank you for this place. Thank you for this lovely story called Grace Point and the even lovelier story called the church. We are all aware of the frailties and the fissures and the cracks in that structure. And yet through all the cracks, it seems like through those fissures, the light of divine love just keeps on shining. As this church comes down the home stretch of closing a chapter and opening a new chapter, we open ourselves, dear God, we open ourselves to new invigoration, new inspiration. Whoever that one is that's going to come to this staff to lead us, God, we pray that that choice will be made wisely and right, and even now you're working in the heart of that person. We believe you are. For all those that have scattered, the sheep that have been spread, that that have lost their way the last year or two, that need desperately to help build this progressive, post-evangelical, inclusive church, may they gather back in. May even now, tonight, we send out waves of prayer and energy and love to them that just feels like a homing device. So many of them need to be back. Bind us together in love. Give us your wisdom as we press forward to proclaim this most beautiful of gospel truth. We pray this in Christ's name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you while you give. So yeah, tonight we're going to talk a little bit about the various practical ways that you can be involved and invested in the community with your time. And so volunteering is a, is a way of expressing generosity. And uh, my experience with volunteering, well, the church I was at a year and a half ago, our production team arrived 
at the campus at 4.45 in the morning and was there until 2.30 p.m. So it was kind of like a, whoa. Um, but no, we are not asking that of you at all. Um, we wanted to give you kind of an idea of, as we go into Clementine, well, what are the, the various specific ways that you can be practically involved? And there are Grace Point Kids, there are the creative arts, there's hospitality, and then there are a couple small things. Um, and so we wanted to give a chance to the staff to talk through those things. And I think first, I'm going to hand it over to Matt, and he's going to explain the areas of the creative arts where you can be involved. Hello, everyone. Um, so there are a couple of, of things, ways that y'all can be involved on a practical um, on the practical side. The first thing is the uh, technical side of things. Um, many of you know our wonderful Glenn and Jessica back here at the soundboard, and they are back there every week faithfully, um, running the audio, running the video, the things um, that go up on the screens, and we could not make the gatherings happen without their help. So I'm very, very grateful for both of them. Um, and I would love it if we could find some people who would like to help them. Um, the things that we need help with are not things that you need uh, prior experience, and they're easy to learn. Um, things like pressing the space bar um, during the music <laughs> to change the lyrics um, or standing in front of the video camera and making sure that it stays on the speaker when he's walking around. Um, so there are things that anyone can do. Um, so anyway, if you would be interested in helping um, with the technical side of things, please come speak to me or uh, go see Glenn or Jessica and we would really appreciate that. Something else is I'm always looking for people who enjoy being up on the platform speaking um, to do things like poem readings or sometimes we do thematic readings um, around the message that's going to be given. Or if you would be interested in leading in a guided meditation sometime or helping with announcements or anything like that. So if you feel comfortable on stage and enjoy speaking in front of people, um, I'm always looking for people who would be willing to do that. Even the welcome time, just different things. I love to get as many different people up here as possible. So those are the main two things um, for me and the arts right now. Is that mean it's my turn? All right, so with kids, we are not gonna have classrooms at Clementine. Our kids are going to be meeting in an open space called, I wanna get this right because I think they changed the name, the Little Bird Lounge. I can't sit, I'm so sorry. Um, but we are gonna have check-in at the Little Bird Lounge. There's a walkway down the side of Clementine and that's where our kids are gonna check in. Um, behind that, and the Little Bird Lounge is shaped like an L. Um, there's going to be a nursery, and it's gorgeous. There's a fireplace in there. There's the old lights from the church. Um, and our six-week-olds through toddler um, will be in there. 
Um, and we're needing somebody to facilitate play and care in that area. And as we grow, we're gonna need two people to facilitate care and play in that area. If you walk through the nursery and through these two arches, um, one or the other arch, you'll see a preschool area, a bar, an elementary area, and the preschool area is gonna have three tables. The elementary area will have three tables, and in the middle of all of that, there's gonna be a rug with a toy shelf, and a lot of toys that are sensory sensitive. Um, they'll be fun for our toddlers through fifth graders to explore and to have fun with, um, but we need somebody who's going to facilitate the lesson in the preschool area, and our lesson is going to be based around three topics, and those are called learn, play, create. So at the learn table, they're gonna watch a book read from an iPad, because they're not yet reading. Um, they're also gonna have a book available that somebody can read to them if they would prefer that. Um, there's gonna be a create table, and there they're going to create um, something with the supplies that is there that um, is something that has to do with the theme of that week. And then they're gonna have a snack table where they can sit down, they can snack, and they can move through these areas freely. We need somebody to facilitate that area, just making sure they're being safe over there, that their needs are met. The snack bar is either gonna be facilitated by an adult or one of our kid volunteers. The kids are gonna have the opportunity to volunteer at the snack bar. And there the kids can check out a snack. They get to choose from a variety of different snacks. Elementary, same thing. Read, create, play. Um, and so um, we'll have a table with books, we'll have a table with art, we'll have a snack table. Um, and there we need somebody facilitating. And then we need somebody facilitating open play. So we need people at check-in. We're gonna need people in the nursery. We're gonna need somebody facilitating the preschool learning experience and the elementary school learning experience and the open play. Five individuals each week, including myself, so just four. But we need 20 spots filled each month. And so if you enjoy spending time with children and being with them and learning with them, um, I could really use your help. We'd really appreciate your help. It's fun back there. It's gonna be a blast at Clementine. All of the age groups are gonna be together. They're gonna be learning together. If we have a preschooler that feels like they're ready for the elementary area, they're gonna get to navigate over there and vice versa. If we have a kindergartner that's wanting to watch the book read on an iPad, they get to walk over and do that. Um, so our kids are gonna be learning with a variety of different ages. It's gonna be wonderful. So if you wanna participate, we would love that. Um, I have volunteer sheets in the back and if you have any questions, you can ask, um, and I'll try to know what the answer is. Thank you, Lisa. Um, the last primary area of volunteer service that we have is the hospitality department. If you're like me and you're enthusiastically introverted, this is exactly for you. Um, we're looking for people who are not just comfortable talking to people, but enthusiastic, excited about the Grace Point community. So if you think that's you and you really believe in a progressive Christian community in Nashville, I'm looking for people who can simply greet, who can meet people in the courtyard in front of Clementine. It's a really cool little space. 
um, or in the foyer. And what you'll do basically is, is give out connection cards. We have those on the way, some new connection cards. You'll also be handing out little welcome pamphlets that we'll have. And you'll be able to talk about Grace Point, what it is we do, who we are, and help people know where things are at Clementine. So you'll be responsible for telling people where Grace Point Kids Check-In is or where the bathrooms are, all sorts of things like that. It sounds more, more of an undertaking than it is. But in essence, you'll help people get adjusted and acclimated to the environment. And it's, it's a really straightforward thing. I've been involved on it in, in a number of levels. And I'm really passionate about the whole welcome process and formalizing it, giving it structure, and helping make it an impactful time so the first-time guests know that they're welcome, that we really take that process seriously. And we'll also have some needs on an operational level, like helping take care of chairs. Um, that will be something we do. And so there will, be, there will be some small stuff like that, and, and we're going to help make it a little easier. First, I do want to mention something that will be forthcoming, connect groups. We have nothing specific to say about that yet, but I want to bring it up so that we can begin to kind of gauge interest and involvement on it. So if you want to be a part of a connect group, you want to host a connect group or lead a connect group, we're going to have an ability for you to express that. And so... How are we going to express that? Thank you for asking. I've made a Google form, and so what I'm going to do is bring over a little table over here after you're dismissed, and that'll provide you with a computer to do this if you're interested, but you can also go to your phone. You can go to www.gracepoint.net slash volunteer, and that will provide you with a website link that can help you go straight to Google form and you'll be able to volunteer and find ways that you can express interest in volunteering at Grace Point. So you'll just fill in that form. You'll, you'll kind of do a little checklist. You'll follow it. You'll go with it. And then we'll be able to take that information and help situate everybody in whatever you might be interested in. If it's more than one thing, that's fantastic. Take care of yourself. Don't overcommit. But if you are interested in this, any, anything that we're talking about, this is a great opportunity for you to do that. So gracepoint.net slash volunteer, it's up there. And after the service, we'll have two tables up here with computers where you'll be able to do that up here if you're interested. All right, am I missing anything? Yes, Lisa and I both wanted to say a little something else. I just wanted to say that I know you guys see Glenn and Jessica back there every week, and I want you to know that if you volunteer to help with tech, that doesn't mean that you would be volunteering to do it every single week. Um, you could do it once a month or twice a month, or, I mean, it would be wonderful to get a rotation of people to where everyone did it once every six or eight weeks. So um, I just wanted to, to put that out there for you guys. Yeah. And same, um, you do not have to volunteer every single week. We're on a rotation. Um, if you want to be back there once or twice a month, absolutely, that's wonderful. Whatever it is, um, once every six weeks. Besides the four extra facilitators that we need, this is something I almost forgot about. If your thing isn't working with children, and that's okay, that's okay, um, and you would rather help with setting up the space in the back, we're going to be setting up around 830 in the morning. And so if you'd like to join us for setting up the furniture that we have purchased and setting up the lesson for that day, and then you can go off into the gathering space of the adults, that would be such a huge help. Also, afterwards, 
um, if you have some time to spare and you want to help tear down and load the trailer up. We could really use help that way as well. Um, we're also needing um, individuals, if you have a truck and you can pull a trailer, um, to volunteer once every six weeks to pick up the trailer from our parking spot and to drop it off. And that's it. You pick it up in the morning, you set it there for us to do our thing, you can go out to breakfast, get some coffee, come back for the gathering, and then once we're done tearing down, you take the trailer and park it again for the next week. Um, we have one, two volunteers for that. We're really looking for four to six volunteers. So if that's something that you can help with, that'd be wonderful. Um, and I didn't talk about junior high. Um, I know that Higgins and Jeff are in here. Are there any volunteer needs? that the two of you have. Do you want to talk about what junior high is going to look like at Clementine? I'm going to take this as a yes. Lori, yes. <laughs> I thought I was going to ask <laughs> Yeah, so just, just real quick. Um, we actually have a few uh, more volunteers that are going to be added to the rotation with Higgins and I. But we're going to try and provide kind of a steady base of, of learning. We've kind of transitioned into a time where we're really challenging the kids to, um, you know, stretch and grow and learn. And, uh, and, you know, junior high is a very pivotal time for kids. It's when they're really trying to learn how to be a grown-up. Um, so we are really excited and privileged to be with them during that time. Um, if you would like to be a part of that, absolutely do not hesitate to reach out to uh, Mr. Higgins or Mr. Barton, and we will... Don't be scared! Yeah. It, when I say it's a privilege, it really is. I mean, these are these are young people who are looking for examples of what it means to be grown up, and that's you're just kind of sitting there with them and sharing, and it's, it's a great experience. That's all I have. If you have any specific questions about any of this, we'll be up here immediately after the gathering to answer them for you. If you have anything related to the whole volunteer in Clementine process, any of us can help you up here. And with that, you can visit the website, like I said, and fill out that form on your phone or your computer as soon as you want. Um, the sooner the better, so we can help get everyone situated. And then I'll have a computer right up here for you. Is that good? Right. Thank you so much for being with us tonight. And with that, you're dismissed.